Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And follow up to what Mr. Toole was saying there. Daniel is a good example for us to follow in obeying the Lord, letting him have his way. And we saw last week that Daniel was confronted with the decision. Will he obey God or will he obey the king? Would he obey God or would he obey the man who had power over his life? Now, sometimes in Bible hour, we use children to represent adults and we use adults to represent who knows what age. But I wonder, as we think about Daniel, as we learned from him last week, how old do some of you think he was? So in Daniel chapter 1, how many of you think he was an adult? Oh, none of you think he was an adult? Oh, yeah, what's the definition of adult? Let's say, okay, our, our, our modern world adult, older than 18. How many of you think he was older than 18 in Daniel chapter 1? Oh, some of you do? Well, most of you must be right. You all think he was younger? He probably was younger, and the reason we believe that is because it's implied that he was young, but then we find out that he lived a very long life. If we do the calculations of when he was taken into captivity and all the way to the time when um, the king of later reigned, we find out that there's a span of, of almost 80 years. So that means that if he was even a teenager, he was like up in his 90s, perhaps, in, his, in the latter part of his life. And so that means that he was probably very young, maybe even like 12, probably not older than 15 or 16, maybe even younger than 12. And yet when we read in Daniel chapter 1, you would think that we were learning about a man who was very wise and very mature, and sometimes we think that that's what old people are. Well, it's not always. In fact, God wants us to be wise and to begin learning to be wise from ever so little, at a young age, growing up. Now, with that, last week we had a really little guy playing the role of Daniel, didn't we? And then we had some other three friends of different ages. So I wonder if I can get some of those same helpers to come on up here today and sit right down here and bring your Bibles. So I think I had Owen. Nathan's not here today. So then I had, um, let's see, who else? I had, did I have Toby? Would Ben, you part of me? And um, then it was, was it Micaiah? Yeah, okay, so I had these guys. So here you see all these different guys. You know, <laughs> we see pictures and drawings sometimes of Daniel, and are you going to fill in for Nathan? Or you were one of them last week too? Yes. Well, you know what? We're just going to skip Nathan. He was that guy in the middle. You know, he was the middleman between the king and the other one. So we'll just skip him for this week because he doesn't actually play into the role. He's just there. But you see, here we, here we have these ages. So did you, all, you guys all, you all see these guys here? Now, why don't you guys stand up real quick and just turn around so everybody can see you. Now, how many of you would expect these guys in a strange place where they didn't know the language to do what was right? Why aren't you all raising your hand? 
I would hope so, right? See, sometimes we think we should give somebody a pass for being little. Is that true? No. Just because you're young or little doesn't give you a pass. We all ought to do right, for the Scriptures say that even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. And so, guys, do what's right. Do what's right, because even a child is known by his doings. Okay, guys, sit down. Last week, you all, right, you were one of the princes, right? Let's get our thing straight here. Yes, you were one of the princes who couldn't keep his circlet on. Maybe this week you'll keep it on. And we'll just put this up here to represent King Nebuchadnezzar, not to forget that he's still around. And um, here we have Daniel and his three friends, right? Who can tell me their names? Okay. Hananiah, do you remember what name you were? You were Daniel last week because you picked it the first time. Azariah, I'm so happy you guys gave me the Hebrew names because I'll tell you, when I was growing up, I didn't even know the Hebrew names. I hardly even knew they had Hebrew names because I always learned it as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so when I became adult, I started learning the Hebrew names, which are really what their real names were. So I'm so glad you guys got your, your Hebrew names. Do you guys like your Babylonian names? No, you don't like them? Yeah, I wouldn't like them either. Where would we leave Daniel last week? Here we've got this guy. Stand up with me here. His job is to make sure that you guys are all fed. His job is to make sure that you guys are all educated. Now, do Jews eat the same way as everybody else in the world? No. Why? Do you know why? Hmm, yeah. He, he didn't know why, because he was just feeding you guys pork. You like pork? Yeah, with barbecue sauce? Oh. But you like pork. Yeah. These are Jews. They don't eat pork. But apparently you didn't know that. I think this guy didn't truly know. Because I think he wanted to do what was best for these guys. For it tells us, in fact, that God had given these guys favor and tender love in his sight. That means that God caused it for this man to have a love for these boys. It was a tender love. He had, they had found favor in his eyes. And so now there is a dilemma. They're being served what? Food that would defile them. Now, I want to ask this question, but I don't want to ask this question. How many of you enjoy what's in the picture up there? Yeah, now why is it that you all eat pork and you have no conscience or problems eating pork, and yet these guys had a problem eating pork? Hannah, why? Because they were under the law. That's right. They were under the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses had some things that were commanded that were commanded because they were right, and sometimes they were commanded because they were wrong. So, for example, thou shalt not kill was commanded because it was wrong. 
Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself was commanded because it was right. These things are right and wrong. But then God commanded them to eat certain things and not to eat other things. Well, because God commanded it, it made it a right and wrong decision. But in and of itself, we find out in the New Testament that God says, this is fine to eat. In fact, in Acts chapter uh, 10 it is, um, God tells Peter, and then also in Acts chapter 15, that these things we can eat as we receive it with thanksgiving. For God has given it to us for food. Even way back in Genesis, he's given to us for food. But for the Jews, it was different. And it wasn't necessarily because it was bad and because it was good. Now, we could argue, and this is something interesting about the law of God, is that the law of God was said to be good, and it's said to be marvelous, and it's said to be holy. And we could debate with some pretty strong science on our side that uh, pork is probably not the best meat for you to eat. And some of the other things that were commanded not to eat, we could argue scientifically that they're not the best things to eat too. So there's maybe a little bit, interesting, connection between there. But it wasn't not in its basic form. There was nothing wrong with eating pork in this case, except that God had told his people, the nation of Israel, not to eat it. That made it wrong for the Jew. And Hannah was exactly right. The reason why we can sit down at Christmas time or whenever and have ourselves a slice of pork, I, sometimes at my table I call it pig to give the real picture of what we're eating because my kids get it confused sometimes. And um, we can eat it. We, we eat it with Thanksgiving. And the reason we can, different than Daniel, is because we are not under the law. Now there's a lot more that could be explained in that, but we don't have time to do it this morning. But let's continue on considering it from Daniel's perspective. He says, here is your food. Now, you can sit down. If you think about this, this was probably food of the king. In fact, I don't say probably. It tells us that this came from the king's table. How many of you think that kings eat like royalty? That's a duh question. How many of you think that kings eat like royalty? Yeah, kings eat like royalty because they're royal. Well, if you're eating from the king's table, that means you're eating some pretty delicious food, but actually you're not because you are obeying God. Now, somebody tell me, why was it that Daniel was able to obey God in this case? There's, there's something that tells us in Daniel chapter 1 that he did that, helped, that, that prepared him for this. That's right. Do you hear that? He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. The way he put it was that he would obey God. That's exactly right. And we learned from Deuteronomy and other passages that that word there, purposeth, means that he decided, means that he appointed, means that he, was, he had thought through it and was determined and was convinced and was planning to do what was right. Deuteronomy, it says that we were take the law of God and lay it up in our hearts like a treasure in our hearts. Lay it up in our hearts as a treasure. And in that way, we will obey God. So here's the lesson for all of us. Do we know God and do we know his ways? 
And do we lay up his commands and his words in our heart as the treasure it is? I hope we do. I hope we do. Now let's look here at this situation with Daniel. It tells us here in verse 8 that Daniel requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, I want you to imagine with me how that conversation went. He requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, why don't you stand up, prince of the eunuchs, and let's imagine we're going to swap Daniel over here. Can he be Daniel this week? Because I'm going to ask him to do harder things. Yeah, you're Daniel this week. And he's even got to swap places to make it clear. All right. Now tell me, how do you imagine that Daniel requested of the prince of the units that he might not defile himself? How might you, how might you imagine that conversation went? Think about it for a minute. You can think about it and imagine. How do you think that went? Do you think that way it went, went? I think you're right. How many think he's right? Did you notice he had some words, please, and, and so forth in it? Um, tell me, can I swap with you? Let's just imagine I'm Daniel. This is the way some of us deal with things like this. Who do you think I am? Don't you know I'm a Jew? Don't you know I don't eat pork? How dare you try to feed me pork? How many of you think that's the way Daniel did it? Oh, not, oh. <laughs> See, that's why I didn't call it, I swapped you out here. That's not the way Daniel did it. That's not the way Daniel did it. He didn't, he didn't come and be mean and sassy and, 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 and rude to, to the prince of the eunuchs and all of this. He, 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 he didn't insult him. He didn't belittle him. No, look at the words here. It says he, he requested. He didn't demand, insist. He requested of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I think there's significance in that word himself. He's not judging him for eating pork. He's simply asking for myself. And we find out that it was by extension for your three friends, too. He didn't come mean, cruel, harsh. Well, part of the reason why is last week we learned there's a problem this guy here has. What's his problem? Do you remember what your problem was? The king said I needed to feed them. The king said you needed to feed them. And in your definition of feeding them, they need to have a nice food triangle, right? Well, they don't call it a food triangle anymore because that's confusing, so they now they talk about it as a pie or a plate. And that includes meat. And so if they're going to be healthy, they need to have a good food triangle or plate. But yet now they're wanting to pull this piece out. Well, how are they going to be healthy if they, if, they, if they don't have a balanced diet? How are they going to be healthy if they don't have protein? 
There's a problem here, isn't there? For this guy. But it's a bigger problem. Because it's not only because he wants them to be healthy. What happens if they're not healthy? He dies. Is that pressure? We talked about that a little bit last week. Is that pressure? A lot of times when you guys grow up, if you go to college, or even if you don't go to college, you might find it in the workplace too, you'll have these debates about ethics, and they'll throw all kinds of questions to you. Ethics are about what's right and what's wrong, and what things make something um, less right or right, less wrong. Or it's, it's really complicated. Here is an ethics question. Sometimes I wish professors would use illustrations like this to debate ethics. It would actually be really helpful. They use hypothetical that are totally irrational sometimes. And I'm not saying that's always wrong, but some, let's use real-world experiences. This is an ethical decision for you. Is it a bigger deal that a man die, or is it a bigger deal that you not eat meat? Now you, you, you think about this for a moment. Which is worse, a man dying or a guy eating pork? Now, you all eat pork, so I assume you're all going to say, well, of course, this is less wrong than this. Am I right? So the natural question that sometimes is presented to us is that, well, of course, he should just eat the meat because by eating the meat, he will save his life. Right? I loved Mr. Abnow earlier kind of did this when I asked a question. That's true. Because, yes, at first glance, it would appear that it would be better for you to just go ahead and eat the meat, whether it was prepared wrong, it was the wrong kind of meat, or it had been offered to idols, we don't know which. Maybe all three. At first glance, it would look like it would be better for him to eat meat than for this poor, innocent man to die. But is that the only solution in play? Is that the only solution in play? See, again, one of the problems sometimes that comes with ethics, debates, ethic debates, ethics are a good thing, but ethics debates, is they put these situations in boxes. And oftentimes, if we are presented with these two choices inside of a box, we're in trouble. Because if the only options that we have is to eat the meat or he dies, uh, there's a problem, right? But what we need to do when we seek God is to look at things not from a limited earthly perspective, but from God's perspective and looking at the big picture. So let's look at the situation. What is his goal? What's your goal? Is your goal to make these guys defile themselves? No. Do you, do you want these guys to break the law of Moses? No. Do you want these guys to violate their conscience and do what they believe is wrong? No. What's he want? What's he want? He wants to feed us. He wants to feed you. So tell me, is there a solution to this ethical dilemma? Is there more options than just he dies or he eats, eats meat that defiles him? Now, how many of you know there's a solution to this dilemma because of what Daniel did or because you just know it? We know it from Daniel. And here is a good lesson for us from Daniel. Daniel sets an example for us. 
he helps us to look at situations that we may face like this. Because Daniel know here knows that it's not good for him to die. It's not good for him to die over meat. In fact, if we read Romans 14, actually you might write Romans 14 in your Bibles because Romans 14 actually talks about what foods we eat and how it relates to those around us. And in the conclusion of the whole matter, which leads right in or follows up from, from um, speaks of loving our brother. So here he's in this situation, this dilemma. You get creative. You get creative. And you respectfully present a plan to him. And your plan is basically this. We will eat, because that's what he wants you to do, but we will eat those things that will not defile us. Now, he's concerned about this plan. Your plan is give us vegetables, because apparently they didn't offer the vegetables to idols, and they're definitely fine within the Mosaic law to eat vegetables. So he says, just give us vegetables. There'll be no issues. And you're troubled by that because you still got that food pyramid, don't you? You know what a food pyramid is? Okay, good. You still got that idea, and you're a little concerned. If they only eat vegetables, they're going to start looking like rabbits. He says, yes. They're not going to start looking like rabbits, or are they? Well, you are wise, and I think you guys are along with him because you realize that he's going to be concerned for your health. And so instead of just saying, here's what we're doing, you said, just an idea. Let us have vegetables. And acknowledging your concerns that we be healthy, in fact, it actually talks about you being fat, whether or not the Babylonians thought you fat, I don't know. What fat was? Was fat like um, just healthy or was not anorexic? Or is fat anorexic means like you're so skinny you're dying? Or that it means you're just healthy? His concern is that you're healthy. And so instead of just demanding no meat, you suggest let's have vegetables and you can try it. Ten days. Ten days. We'll try just vegetables for 10 days. And if after 10 days we are still healthy, then the suggestion or the implied suggestion, it's not even commanded, is that we'll continue on this diet. Now, does that sound like a good alternative? So we began this ethical dilemma with two options, right? You die or you defile yourself with meat that is either not allowed by the Mosaic law, not prepared according to the Mosaic law, or offered to idols. Big problem for you. But is there only two choices, yes or no? No. There was a third option. Wise appeals are seeking to be creative and to look for an alternative that still meets the desired goal. Now, sometimes... When you guys grow up, you may be asked to do things that you don't think are right. In fact, you may know they're wrong. You just get an attitude about it and go around going, I'm spiritual, I obey God, I'm not doing what you say. Is that the way we be? No, no. In fact, you guys sit down. Let me show you something here in Daniel. Open your Bibles and look here with Daniel. 
The first thing it says he did is that he purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or with the wine which he drank. He was not going to defile himself. He was going to obey God. He purposed to obey God. There's the first thing we need to do. No matter what we face or we think we're going to face, either as little children or as adults, every day we need to know God's will, just as Brother Toole shared earlier about obeying what we know, know what God has commanded and purpose in our hearts, lay it up as a treasure, we will obey. Remember, back in Deuteronomy where the same thought was we talked about last week, is we can't do it on our own, we need God's help. And that's not just a New Testament truth, that is a timeless truth, for it was even taught in Deuteronomy, that we need God's help to do it. And so he purposed in his heart, and then notice it says that he requested. Here's one of the key parts of all of our attitudes. You know, there are two different times we have to appeal. What does appeal mean? Appeal means when we make a request to an authority or someone who is in charge, asking them to change an instruction or a command that they have given. Now, there's two different kinds of appeals. The first kind is when someone has commanded you to do something that is wrong. So, if you get a friend who comes along and says, hey, let's go on down here to 7-Eleven. Thou shalt steal that stick of gum to prove that you are my friend. Now, that's pretty radical, isn't it? Well, actually, it's not so radical. It happens all the time. Now, you might say, I never had a friend who did that. But have you ever had a friend who said, let's go do this, and you fill into this that you knew was wrong? Now, that friend may not be an authority. But what happens if that's a mom or a dad? Or what happens if that's your boss? Maybe your boss says, you want your job? You're going to fudge these numbers. You're going to cheat on this report, on this bill. You're, you're going you're gonna to do these things dishonestly. What do you do? How do you handle it? So there's one kind of appeal where you have to appeal because what is being commanded of you is wrong. Right? Okay? Now, you sit down. Let's see here. James, come here. Now, there's another kind of appeal. Come here. I like the gum situation, huh? James, in our family, we don't eat gum. Oh. Is there anything wrong with gum? Yes or no? No. So here now we have a command that's given that's really neither right nor wrong, except that mom or dad said so. Now say you really, 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 really like gum, and you've had gum, and you want to keep chewing gum. What do you do? First of all, you obey. But you still would like to have it. So what do you do? Do you just disobey? I know, you sneak it so nobody knows. Is that what you do? Is that what you do? What do you do? Oh, I got an idea. 
you sneak it, and to hide the evidence, you stuff it under the pew. What do you do? Well, first, you obey. But that desire is still maybe there, right? So you know one thing you can do? You could say, Mom, Dad, may I appeal? And you know what? Mom or Dad may say, no. And if Mom or Dad say no, what should he do? He should just obey and drop it. But maybe mom or dad might say, yeah, James, you can appeal. Now tell me, if you're going to have an effective appeal, how are you going to do it? Mom, dad, you know I like gum. Why can't I chew gum? All my friends chew gum. That the way it is. Do you think it's going to be very effective? No. I've kind of behaved that way sometimes. Is that very smart? Yes or no? No, it's not smart at all. It's not smart at all. So how can you deal with this? How might you say, I really like gum. Can I chew gum? Now, I'm using this illustration because it's very personal to me. I grew up in a home where we weren't allowed to chew gum. Oh, can you believe that? Now, some of you might be, oh, your parents were so strict. That's unbelievable. But let me tell you something. This is a key part to understanding an appeal. If you, if you want to appeal that you can chew gum, I think you need to know why. Maybe mom and dad said you can't chew gum. It's not because they want your life to be miserable. It's not because they want you not to chew it because everybody else chews it. It's not because they think chewing gum is evil. Why, then, do they not want you to chew gum? Well, you know what the reasons were in my family? And guess what? These reasons weren't given to me when I was this tall. When I was this tall, it was simple. Don't chew gum. There's no appeal. Don't chew gum. But you know, as we grew older, you might be thinking, wait a minute, it was a rule in your house that you couldn't chew gum? Well, I know one of your family members, and she, she, I'm giving away who it might be, Chews gum all the time and has for as long as I can remember. Any of you know why? Because one time she appealed. But guess what? She didn't get any permission. She was this tall and she was this tall. And she was, I don't know how tall exactly she was. But you know, my parents had good reasons why we shouldn't chew gum. And here, I don't want to go into a whole debate about chewing gum. I want to use it only as an illustration of how we might appeal. If he wants to chew gum, here, this is a non-moral issue. That means that it's neither right nor wrong, except that mom or dad said no, okay? That your authority said no. That makes it wrong. So in order for you to change it, you've got to change their command. Do you see that? Part of the appeal here is to change the command because to disobey it is to disobey it. There's a problem. And when it's dealing with non-moral issues, meaning where there's neither right nor wrong, it's not as big of a deal. But dealing with Daniel's situation, it was a whole lot bigger deal. But one of the ways that you need to do an appeal is, one, check your attitude. If you're cocky, if you're know-it-all, if you think you're smarter than mom and dad, your appeal is no good. It's not an appeal. It's a demand. In fact, it's disobedience. So you got to check your attitude. Notice Daniel here, when he began to speak, he spoke to him, and he said to him, verse 12, prove 
or test thy servants. There's a lot of, lot of information in that word servants, isn't there? Do you see it? There in verse 12? Thy servants. He's acknowledging that the eunuch here in charge is his master. He's acknowledging that he has an obligation to obey him. But he also is going on to deal with the fact that he has a higher authority to which he has to obey. So first thing here that Daniel sets an example for us is our attitude. If we come trying to get mom or dad to change their rule, or somebody who's asking us to do something wrong to change a rule, and we've got a bad attitude or we don't recognize that they have authority over us, it's broken from the start. It's not a legitimate appeal. In fact, it's just as wrong as if we were disobeying for the most part. We need to have the right attitude. That means that here's a way you might begin that appeal. Mom, Dad, I know that you have said I cannot chew gum. I will obey. May I appeal? Do you see that? He would be acknowledging that mom or dad have the authority to tell him, you can't do this. And then he is respectfully acknowledging their authority by asking them if he may appeal. He has a right attitude about it. Now, there would be a problem with this appeal if um, hmm, he'd been chewing gum all along and ignoring mom and dad and decided to finally fix this conflict. And so he comes and, and with lip service says, yeah, you've been telling me not to chew gum, but may I appeal? And yet he's still been disobeying. You know, takes the gum out and comes, can I appeal? You see a problem there? A need to also is to make sure that you're not doing what's wrong. Fix the things that are wrong first. Confess, obey, repent of what you're doing wrong because your appeal is probably not going to be followed if you have a track record of just ignoring mom and dad and then all of a sudden you come and say, may I appeal? Do you see a problem with that? Yeah, there's a problem with that. You know something else you need to do? You need to find out why mom and dad have made this rule. Does that sound like a good idea? Why did mom or dad make this rule? Now think about our gum illustration. Can you think of any reasons why? I can. I can. And in fact, my parents taught me some. Um, one reason is, is that you find, while you're cleaning things, gum stuck under chairs. And you know what? Sometimes a child doesn't know what to do with their gum, doesn't care enough to do what, what they should with their gum. And so it's a categorical rule, no gum, because you don't properly handle it. You do not know how to properly use it. Ah, there lies a question that ties to Daniel. You might come to say to your parents, when you know that's your reason, one of your parents' reasons, because I think that's every... How many of you parents think that that's a problem with gum chewing? Oh, some of you need to do some more cleaning. <laughs> yes, it's a big problem with gum chewing, is that people don't discard of their gum properly. And so parents sometimes just say, no gum, because gum is not discarded up properly. You know how hard it is to get gum out of hair? Go to bed sleeping with gum, and it wakes up in your hair. 
or in your bed or in your pillow, yeah, we just get real gross real fast all of a sudden. So there's one reason why. So you might say, Mom, Dad, I know that you don't like your children chewing gum because we may not be responsible in discarding of it properly. Those are big words for you, aren't they? We may not throw it away always right, but will you prove me? Will you give me a chance to test me that I will properly discard the gum? Do you see the appeal? That's exactly what Daniel did. He says in verse 12, prove thy servants. Test us. Here's an idea. It may not work in your opinion, but Daniel and his friends say, test us, try us in it. See, Daniel knew that you cared about his health. That's why he presented this idea. Here, your parents might say, no gum chewing because they care about your um, character development and they care about your politeness to other people and to just the people who have to clean the house and cut your hair and clean your bedding, all that stuff. They care. A wise appeal knows this and will suggest a test. Well, there might be other reasons why your parents may not want you to chew gum. My family had a unique situation. This was probably one of the big underlying pieces of it, is that one of my great aunts died as a young child because she choked to death on a stick of gum. And so, again, a reason why in our home it was a categorical rule that children, we don't chew gum. Do you think that's a really legitimate reason? Yeah, it's a really legitimate reason. Very legitimate reason. And so, I think it's good for you to acknowledge that too. You might say, I know aunt, I don't even know the aunt's name. I know that we had an aunt who choked to death on gum, but I think I'm old enough now to be careful. Can I try it? Again, see the try. Again, the can. It's a respect. There's another reason why some people don't like kids chewing gum. is because they're downright rude. Ever seen somebody you're trying to carry on a conversation with? Or sit behind somebody in church and you hear this. I won't ask you to raise your hands because you'll all probably have to raise your hands. You've probably seen it. Is that rude? Yeah. Guess what? Does a little guy this tall maybe not see that that's rude? Or even tall is a different relative question, you know. But a young person may not see that as rude, may not even know how to control it. But that's rude. And sometimes it's easier for mom and dad and wiser for mom and dad to say, we don't chew gum because we don't want you to be known as the rude boy in the neighborhood. Is that a good reason? That's a good reason. Do you think you need to know that reason if you're going to appeal? So that means that when you come and you appeal, you know that one of the reasons why mom and dad don't want you to chew gum is because they don't want you to be a rude little boy. Just like this guy wanted these boys to be healthy eat good food that would make them strong, help them focus on their studies and not on their hungry tummy. So here, your parents want you to be a polite person. 
So in his appeal, do you think it would be wise for him to bring up this topic? Yes. I think he should say to mom or dad, I know that sometimes people who chew gum are very rude. Will you prove me, try me, that I will be one who will be courteous and polite? Do you see how that would follow the, the model and the example that Daniel has given? Daniel knew what his master wanted and his king wanted, and instead of just ignoring what they wanted, he presented to them a test to see here is an alternative. Will this work? So now here's the bottom line. You've made the appeal. What will you do if mom and dad say, James, our answer is still, you may not chew gum. What are you going to do? that what you're going to do? Do you think that, that was the right way to appeal? No. What should be the answer or the response? Yes, Mom. I'll obey. And then obey. Obey starting in the heart. You see, purpose in your heart that you will obey God. And God says, obey your parents. Purpose in your heart that you obey God, which means you'll obey your parents. And so you may work out this, and you may have this appeal, and they may say no. If they do, then the answer is no, and you accept it. That makes sense? Yes. Now they might say, you know what, James? Yep, you're old enough. I think you're mature enough, wise enough, polite enough to properly chew gum. And then what do you say? Yes! Right? No? Yeah, you can say yes! Yeah, you can be excited. In fact, actually, we need to be that way when they say no, too. Do you follow? That's the point of the appeals. A right appeal. You know, another answer they might say, James, did you know I chew gum? Now, in my house, my parents didn't chew gum. Um, but somebody might. They don't have any problem with you chewing gum, but these concerns they have. And they might say, James, maybe next year. What's your answer then? Yes! Still have to obey. Don't chew gum. But maybe next year. That means... Next year, you can ask again. Probably wouldn't be wise if they said next year to ask before next year. In fact, you might even say that it's not only not wise, it's disobedience. It comes a time where nagging is not a part of appeal. And parents, wise advice, anyone in authority, if it is a matter that is a wait, give them a goal or a time that is a wait so that they know. Give them a time or a goal that is a wait. So if there's an issue that they want and you know that they have a desire, but yet you're going to stand your ground on an issue for one reason or another, and yet it's pending to change, then give them a time. Ask me on your 12th birthday or ask me at this time. I think in our house it wasn't an official official, but it kind of was looser when you turned 12 because then you couldn't choke to death 
or you still could, but hopefully you were smart enough not to. And so there can be that wise part, give a time. And I think it was wise for Daniel in this situation. He gave a set time. Test us, prove us, 10 days. Now, there's one other answer that they might have given you. James, you're on probation. You guys know what probation is? Probation means you're being tested. You have to prove that you won't joke on it. Because if you're going to joke, that one I don't know how you can prove. I just don't know how you can prove that one. But hey, you have to prove that you're going to be polite, courteous. You're not going to chew gum in, in situations where it's not appropriate. You're going to prove that you're going to discard your gum appropriately and properly. And we're going to try this for a month. And if in a month we find gum anywhere other than in the trash can, um, it's off. Does that sound fair? Even if they didn't do that, it'd still be fair. Here's the deal. Appeal. A process. Now, we've been talking about gum because here's the thing. Most of the time when we have to appeal things, they're neither right nor wrong except that an authority has given it. Most of the time we have that, especially here in America. And especially if you're hanging out with godly friends and godly people. But I'll tell you, these same truths apply when it is a situation of right and wrong, as it was in Daniel's situation. Daniel was still courteous. He was still polite. He still acknowledged their authority. All of this he still acknowledged. And in it all, he appealed with grace. And Daniel, we know, was one who had a pure conscience. In Daniel chapter 9, we find him as a man of prayer. In fact, actually throughout the book of Daniel, we find him as a man of prayer. In Daniel 9, we find him specifically confessing his sin and the sin of his people. He had a clear conscience and sought to live a godly life and had a good example. He was also a man who was willing to die. His three friends, not too long later, stand before the king who commands that they worship a golden image or die. There in that case, there was no chance for appeal. In fact, it was reverse. He gave them a chance to disobey second time. And they chose to do what was right, even though it meant the loss of their life. Well, that's what it looked like in the beginning. You'll have to wait to find out what actually happened. Daniel was presented with a case once. You either not pray or pray only to the king for 30 days. Again, Daniel was a man of prayer. Was he one who was going to do what the king said, or was he one that was going to do what was right? In that case, he did what was right, even though his life was at risk. We must do what God says. Well, in all of this, what happens in all of this? These, these men come and they appeal to their master on this matter. They appeal to him. They appeal to him in this matter. And you know what we find is in verse 14, he consented to them in this matter and he proved them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which should eat the portion of the king's meat. Your concerns were alleviated. They were resolved. They were no longer a problem. They're healthy. They're healthy. And that's what was given here. They're better than all the others you're taking care of. Maybe you ought to change the diet of everybody. Well, here this is. It tells us, Then Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse, gave them vegetables. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
You know, as all of you are working on your education, you all got school, right? Do you seek God for the knowledge that he gives you? Even in arithmetic, you say, well, God doesn't care about arithmetic. Yeah, he does. He invented it. When you start struggling with the advanced, advanced mathematical problems, it ought to make you say, God, you are awesome. I can't even figure it out, let alone invent it. And so let me tell you, the best person to go to to try to figure out a problem is the guy who invented it. And he's the guy who can help you in all knowledge. God gave them knowledge. You lack wisdom? James tells us that whosoever lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I think Daniel was a man of prayer. I think he was asking God for wisdom. He knew he needed wisdom. And it tells us now at the end of the days that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he communed with them, and among them was found none. Now, this is communing with all those captives. There was none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. You know what? God expects us to know not only him, but know and be really those times when you're wondering, what's the sense of all of this? Well, here you have an example of Daniel, a man who was diligent in his studies. Next time you're tempted to not be diligent in your studies, remember Daniel? There's a proverb that says that the man who is diligent in his business will stand before kings. That prophecy, that proverb was fulfilled in the life of Daniel. He stood before kings. And we find out that it's not just Nebuchadnezzar, but generations of the Babylonians and even into the kings of the Medo-Persia Empire. Daniel rose to be the second or third in command of all of these kingdoms. And much of it had to do with when he was your age. When he was your age, he was disciplining himself in character, how to live and how to behave himself. He was purposing in his heart that he would not defile himself before God, and he practiced at your age. He learned it at your age. He learned the dependence upon God at your age. And so that all through his life, when he was even faced with death, he did what was right. He was diligent when he was a child, which later caused him to then stand before kings. So let's follow the example of Daniel. Our acronym for the book of Daniel, the first chapter is Daniel is favored by Nebuchadnezzar. You see the acronym? Daniel's faith. The big reason Daniel was favored by Nebuchadnezzar is because Daniel had faith in God. Let's all have faith in God. Lord Jesus, we trust you and praise you that your way is best, your word is good. We need you. May we rest in you and hope in you. May we obey you every day, all the time. May we purpose in our hearts to obey you. And even when we are confronted by those who are authorities telling us to do something that either we don't want to do or we know would be disobeying you, give us the wisdom and the grace, the attitude, the right way to appeal. Most of all and most importantly, not for us to get our way, but for you to be glorified, for you to be lifted up. 
We seek you now and we pray this in your name. Amen.